Okay, so we're live. Welcome back to the Magic Minds podcast. I'm Matt Bourke. Welcome back to the Liberties. We're back on location. We said we'd capitalise on this amazing area that I love so much, which is the Liberties. We're here at the Tree of Hope, a tree that was planted in memory of people that died by suicide. And it's quite a coincidence that I'm here today because the show that we're, we're bringing to you guys at the moment now is on mental health. And just by coincidence, I'm back at the Tree of Hope. I didn't plan that. This interview was meant to go out a couple of months ago and it never happened. And then, hey presto, here we are at the Tree of Hope. The show that we're, we're bringing you today is a show we recorded in the Workman's Club in January. I was asked to come on a panel to talk about mental health. I think it's an alternative view of mental health. Uh, my pal Toy Gluby and his classmate Hugh, they're studying psychotherapy. They collaborate with Force Fortnite. And they came up with this night and it was a talk on the panel was myself and then there was a guy jody jody is a fitness expert and then there was dr shay shay is a psychologist it was a brilliant brilliant night you know we all got to talk about our own story i spoke about how i use social media to make vulnerability shame fear guilt anxiety as a super power, superpower for me so i can inspire my community it was my community anyone that follows the podcast anyone that follows our work on social media and i got to talk about that and then talk about my fear of public speaking and also then share a poem that i wrote you know that that kind of explores and opens up my vulnerability when i've been around a lot of leaders and we all have uh, fears and anxieties and vulnerabilities so it was a, an absolutely fantastic opportunity i'm really really delighted to do it great bunch of lads great occasion we got tremendous tremendous feedback about the the event which was deadly i'm delighted i'm, I'm sorry it took so long to bring it but sure look I don't try to force things anymore, you know. Uh, I just let them be the way they be. So, look, let us know what you think of the interview. We really, really appreciate appreciate your feedback. Uh, check us out. We're on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, all the podcast service. Like and subscribe. Uh, do all the, 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 the good things. Share with family and friends. Let us know if you have anyone you'd like us to interview. We're always uh, open to that. Stories to have the power to aspire. That's our, that's our mantra. So look, as always, thanks to Noel Riley from Rooney Media Graphics. Andy with Liberty's Photo, doing amazing work with us on the, on the podcast team. We'll be lost without him. Brilliant, brilliant edition. We have a fantastic uh, team at the moment. Uh, Shannon's Hopeline, Mental Health Warriors, uh, all the mental health uh, advocates out there, check them out. This is a, a time of need for people to, to, to get support. Uh, so yeah, just be kind to the people at this time of the year. Uh, be kind to yourself, and as always, always mind your little self. Have a fantastic day. Take care, bye bye. Our talk tonight is on the holistic approach to mental health. Um, myself and Ty Louis are hosting this talk. So both of us are trainee psychotherapists. So we're extremely passionate about mental health, and um, in September we're due to. Uh, the follow as well, we're due to begin our clinical training. So, um, it is our intention, I think, over the next couple of months and years to host more events like this, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. So, it's absolutely um, my pleasure to host this tonight and to be a part of the first Fortnite Festival. Um, I'm really passionate about you know, their goal of breaking down stigma and raising awareness around mental health. It's very, very important to me. Um, so, I just want to introduce the panel tonight. Um, so, the man there just beside Ty, 
is Jody Kennedy. So Jody is a real practitioner of the holistic approach to mental health. He's a sport and fitness and wellness guru and is really, really passionate about the ancestral approach to uh, health in general, movement, breathing, and back to our own, our old traditional ways to help us improve our health. Okay. Besides uh, Jody then is Matt, Matt Burke. Matt is a cognitive uh, rehabilitation specialist in the National Rehabilitation Hospital. So Matt has the very noble job of helping people post-traumatic injury um, to redevelop or, or develop their cognitive skills. And Matt is also a very, very keen um, supporter of mental health and mental health stigma and awareness and hosts the Magic Minds podcast. Okay. Uh, the man beside him is Dr. Shay Ward. Shay is a longtime friend of mine. So Shay is both a qualified um, medical doctor and a psychotherapist. So he holds a undergraduate and master's degree in psychotherapy in the School of uh, Psychotherapy attached to Vincent's Hospital, UCD. He then practiced for a while in psychotherapy, decided that wasn't enough. So he wanted to actually really help on frontline psychiatric services. So he went back to school and became a doctor. And now he works as a registrar in a, a registrar in psychiatric services in the community mental health service in Dublin. So I think we brought together quite an interesting panel to look at things from a different perspective. Okay. So just a couple a little few things of housekeeping. Um all the opinions expressed here tonight are that of the individuals. It's it's nothing to do with their employers or any of the organizations they're affiliated to. So it's just really important to note that for all of our speakers to hear tonight. The other thing is this is a mental health discussion. So we will be talking about mental health topics. If you are activated or get upset by anything that's discussed, take your time, leave the room, do whatever you need to do. But it's critically important to me that you know you don't go home upset or leave the venue feeling vulnerable. Come and talk to any of the volunteers or any of the panel. Um, or come and talk to me directly. Okay, so really, really important if anybody is feeling low after the talk or trigger by anything that they reach out to somebody. There's a number of mental health professionals here, so uh, really, really important from, from that perspective. And finally, I suppose the run order for tonight is we'll have we'll pass the uh, title MC and he'll pass the uh, I suppose the topics across the panel. Each panel member will discuss their own journey and their own approach to mental health uh, individually. We'll then have a interval, and after the interval, we'll have a small group meditation exercise, which you don't have to partake in if you don't want to, but it's just the power of the group and the power of healing in a group is very, very strong. So, you know, I think we'd like to practice that tonight and show that tonight. We'll then have a number of questions that we'll debate across the panel. And finally, then we'll throw it open to the audience for some Q&A. So I do just ask, when, I when we throw it open to the audience, that you know, we are discussing mental health topics. We are discussing topics that are sensitive to people. So please be mindful. You know, If you're making a statement or asking a question or debating with somebody, just be mindful of all the other people in the room, please. Um, and that's it, really. So I'm going to throw it over time now to kick off the event. Thank you. Thank you all very much for coming. And our first speaker is going to be Mr. Jody Kennedy. So a big round of applause for Jody Kennedy. Thank you.
probably the least qualified person on the panel here to be talking about mental health. So I'm going to start by just talking about my own journey, um, and then from there you'll hear the experts talking after that. Or <laughs> I have a couple of notes written down just to keep me on track and stop me wandering. So forgive me for that. Um, so my story starts at my grandmother's funeral. Um, I think I was probably about 10 years of age, maybe a little bit older. And this was the first time that I realized that um, something wasn't quite right, um, or that there was something odd. And we were standing around the bed as we were awakening. My grandmother, we were in the, in the bedroom, and all of my relations were around, and everybody, man, woman, and child, was crying. <clears throat> and I remember standing there thinking, why am I not able to, why am I not able to cry? I wasn't able to express that emotion in that time. Um, and it frustrated me a lot, you know. And afterwards, outside, I remember my cousins, they were all around the same age, I remember my cousin saying to me, you know, why aren't you crying? Did you not feel sad? Do you not, do you not miss Nanny? And, and of course I did. And I didn't understand at the time what was going on, you know. Um, and that went on and on as, as I got older and as I grew up. The same kind of thing came up again and again and again where an emotional situation would arise, a friend would be in trouble or something happened and I wasn't able to step in or I wasn't able to access that like emotional spectrum that I needed to be there for people or that I needed to be there for myself at that time either. So. I mean, I grew up in inner city Dublin, um, and I learned at a young age to posture, I suppose, and to shape and to do things that enabled me to not be a victim. You know, I think like we all learned that at a young age, um, and that was a tool that worked at the time. Um, but all that stuff serves to kind of harden you up and, and numb you to a certain extent. Um, and then out of the front pan into the fire, I went from school directly into the military, um, which is another environment that kind of shuts that emotional side of things down. So, you know, in, in the army, there's no space for vulnerability, there's no space for expressing emotion, there's no space for individuality. All those things are, are punished in that environment. Um, but saying that, I, I enjoyed my time there. Um, I think ultimately I was searching for rites of passage in the army, you know, and I did get that initially, but as time went on, I stayed for 12 years, I stayed way too long, and as time went on, I kind of realised that I was quite unhappy, you know, and that this environment was beating me down, and that it was numbing me up more and more and more and more, and this inability to access emotion and express emotion just grew and grew and grew until it, it, I was I was essentially numb, you know. Um, and towards the end of my military career, I started to hear about a plant medicine called ayahuasca, um, and this was a traditional medicine that's used down in Peru, all over South America. Um, and I'm not going to go into the details of it, but it's like it's a very traditional medicine. It's used in a ceremonial way to access and to open people up and to, to get them to a space where they can get in contact with themselves again. Um, and I read some books and I listened to some interviews and 
this just seemed to me to be exactly what I needed, you know. So in the last year of uh, my military career, I decided that I was going to go and do this. Um, I booked my flights and I headed off down to the jungle uh, in the Amazon basin in the middle of Peru. And I spent a month down there doing medicine ceremonies, you know, with different plant medicines. Um, and it was an incredible experience. Um, I can't unfortunately go into all the details. I know you probably love to hear the juicy details, but <laughs> um, it was a mind blown experience to say the least. But I will say that down there was probably the first time that I truly saw myself, and it was the first time that I actually understood myself. And it was definitely the first time that I opened up in front of a group of strangers and cried and expressed emotion. And, was there to hold space and be supportive of other people. And it was just the most incredible experience, you know. And I say I probably cried more in my month in Peru than I had ever cried in my whole lifetime before that, you know. Um, so coming back from there, I was probably a little bit naive in thinking that I've done a fair bit of work now, you know, I've done a month of intensive work and like everything's gonna be great. But the year after that was probably the hardest year of my life, you know, because I think like any therapy, like any self-development work, the work itself is one thing, but the integration is another thing altogether. So bringing what you've accessed back into your life and trying to implement it with other people and bringing it into the fold with your friends and family, and that's the real difficult part, you know? Um, and over the space of that year, I kind of like the business that I've been running fell through, friendships fell away, a lot of things just started to change in my life, and my whole life was thrown into chaos, you know. I started to, I was brought to a low point, you know, and at that point I, I understood what people with mental health issues go through, because I had never understood it before, you know, and I was now in a place where that was me, you know, and, and I understand how hard it is for people, because it's a silent thing, you know, you're going through this monumental thing to you, but it's from the outside, it, it, it looks like nothing, you know, or it doesn't seem like a big thing to people, so it's a very difficult place to be, um, and thankfully I have a very supportive family, very supportive friends, amazing friends and family, and, and you know, that really is what brings you through these things, but during this time, as I was brought down to, to my low point, my lowest point, um, I just started to, I'd always been into health and fitness, and I just started to go trail running and I started to go swim in the sea and this stuff just became addictive to me. Like it was me and uh, Eve and my wife were sitting there and we were only joking about it earlier. I had no job, I was in bits and we had no money and I was going to swim out in the sea, you know what I mean? And she's like, what, what the hell are you fucking doing? Like it's, but she was still supportive of me, but that's what was it. I just had this like addictive tendency to keep going back to nature and back to movement and, and back to breath work. And then I started to meditate a little bit and just over time, I started to reconnect to myself and, and rebuild and, you know, reconsolidate friendships. And because I had been isolating myself to a certain extent as well, so. Yeah, over time, it was movement and breath and meditation ultimately that, that allowed me to start climbing back. And I think I needed to get to that low point to start rebuilding and start to understand who I was again. 
Like I was at a point after the army where I didn't think I was institutionalized. I was talking to Clyde about this earlier. I would have never said that I was institutionalized, but after coming out of the army from 18 years of age and never having to think about money or never having to think about anything that like people have to think about and then losing that kudos that you have when you're in a job that's cool, you know, very common cool. And it was rough, you know, it was, it was weird. And I, I've never understood what institutionalization is, but uh, it's a strange, strange thing. But ultimately the word that I want to have here is, is as, a, as a run through is connection, you know, because I think that connection is the thing if we lose connection, that's when we get to the point where we get love, you know? And connection to ourselves, connection to the environment, the nature that we live in, connection to friends, family. And like, we are more surrounded by people and things, and we're more connected than we've ever been, like electronically, but we're more lonely than we've ever been. And, and I think that's the answer, is to start to reconnect and reconnect to each other. And, reconnect to our base nature and yeah and that's it <laughs> so that's it thank you thank you very much thank you um, our next speaker so we Mr. Matthew Brooke big round of applause for Mr. I'd like you to raise your hands for this one. Hands up who's comfortable with talking about vulnerability, shame, fear, guilt, feeling unloved, feeling unworthy. Put your hands up if you're comfortable talking about that. Wow, it's a couple of people there. Wow, yeah, it's difficult. Uh, I'm okay now about talking about it, but I didn't grow up as a kid, you know. Uh, vulnerability, shame, fear, anxiety, all those things. I played boppa with those things, like boppa the down. <laughs> you know I, mean? I wasn't letting any of those things come up, you know. So I want to talk to you tonight about how I use creativity and service to make vulnerability, shame, fear, anxiety a superpower for me. Okay? I work in the National Rehabilitation Hospital. Uh, I'm the host of the Matchmoids podcast, stories that have the power to inspire. Uh, shameless plug. Um, I do videos, I do vlogs, vlogs, I always laugh when I say vlogs, my six-year-old says I'm not a vlogger, a YouTuber, because I'm boring. <laughs> uh, true story, kid. Uh, I deliver out modules such as uh, Open Disclosure, Map It, uh, I'm a safe talk trainer, trainer for suicide uh, prevention, I teach meditation, I, I teach strength conditioning class, I do all these things and I, I do public speaking, you know, but I want to be honest with you, hand on my heart, right? I sit here uh, as a, a grown-ass man, beard, uh, bald, go to gym, work on my disco muscles. People sit there and uh, look at me and go, oh, he's confident. But really, what's happening for me right now, I'm absolutely terrified. My hands are shaking. Uh, I want to run away. I don't want to be seen. I'm vulnerable, right? But I'm okay to talk about that right now. I'm okay to tell you that because I know that's not true. You know. I didn't realise for years growing up that I had a childhood trauma. So I was what I thought people wanted to see. I was loud, I was bigger than I am now. Uh, I called people out on their bullshit. I took no mess and blah, blah, blah. All to suppress. And if that didn't work, I took drink and I took drugs to suppress it. And that didn't work, you know, till I found out that the root cause was the childhood trauma. 
you know. So what you really see sitting here or standing here or whenever we see like uh, a perceived threat, it's the memories of an eight-year-old boy who didn't feel loved, who didn't feel worthy, who didn't feel safe. But I know that's not true because my friends, my family, my beautiful girlfriend loves me. Toy loves me, but he tells me he does. <laughs> he loves her more. You know, so but it's only when I, I done the work that I found out that was the problem, you know. So what work did I do? I've done lots of work. There's tons of things that you can go out and do. You can go work on your disco muscles like I do. I'm only joking. Uh, I actively engage in, uh, in counseling, psychotherapy, you know, personal training for my mind. I go there and I still go there. I read, I do self-directed learning. Uh, what else would I do? I engage in courses, personal training. I do all these different kinds of things. But one of the most significant things for me was probably the journey of the podcast. You know, I'm sitting down interviewing people who are sharing their vulnerability, sharing their stories with me and being vulnerable, why could I not do that with them? So I went along that journey with them. But one of the most significant things possibly when we talk about creativity and service, service of people in my community, here in my community, anyone that follows the work of the podcast is my community, you know? So I go on social media and I use like Instagram, Facebook and Twitter to talk about my vulnerabilities. I talk about my shame, I talk about my fear. I'll talk about here today that I sat here shaking, look at my hands. But, but but vulnerability is a show of courage, you know? So that's what I do. I go on Facebook and I talk about my life in service of so people can be inspired, just like the podcast, you know? And, that's, and that has helped me loads. So I'd like to, to share a poem with you that I wrote. Uh, it's on leadership. I wrote it when I was on a leadership cor course. I was with all these other these high-powered leaders, you know, and I'm sitting there, I'm just not from the flats. I'm shitting, I'm nervous. Uh, I've got all these big wigs, innovators, CEOs of companies. I'm like, I'm nervous. But it was my time on the course that really opened my eyes that these people had the same fears as me, they had the same worries, just in different parts of their life. So I was a leader, you know, just like they were. Leading comes from within, you know, so my poison has now become my potion. So let me read you a poem. I don't know what off heart I have it here. <laughs> It's called 41 going on eight. <laughs> I am big, but I am little. I am strong, but I am fragile. I am brave, but I am scared. I am the light, but I live in the dark. I am warm, but I am cold. I am a leader, but I am lost. I am happy, but I am sad. I am full, but I am empty. I am there, but I am not here. I am sure, but uncertain. I am the sun, but I am the shade. I am 41, but I can be eight. This is why we're friends. I want to end on what I say on all my videos and all my, my talks where anybody is, hand on my heart, Mind your little self. Be kind to you in service of the rest of the world. I think compassion, empathy, self-love starts within so you can be a leader for yourself in service of your community. Who are your community? Anybody that's on the same journey as you, anybody in this room is your community and your crew. Thanks very much. So a big round of applause please for
to share words my name. Um, and just when Jody started off there, expert, I'm by no means an expert. Uh, we're all human, we're all on our own little journeys, and that's why I was very happy to partake in tonight because that's what I was asked uh, to come along and, and speak about my journey uh, so far uh, <laughs> on, on this planet. Um, <clears throat> so maybe just a, a brief kind of a synopsis of where I am now and where I've come from. Um, I suppose a very slow person and, and a late bloomer, I think that's what we're called these days. Um, and I was probably uh, living in La La Land uh, until maybe about 28 years of age. So in other words, I was kind of coasting along, things were going grand, uh, didn't have much issues in school, never wanted to go to college. Um, I was going to be, <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day, I wanted to be uh, a managing director and the company I wanted to own was haulage business. So, uh, <laughs> talk about like aiming for the stars. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a haulage business. Uh, I have no idea why that was. I love cars, I'm fascinated with cars, passionate about cars, and probably trucks as part of that as well. So maybe that's what it was. And, um, but anyway, I was in my little bubble, and I was going to school, and I was in the scouts, and um, what you call it, things were grand, and uh, as I say, I kind of coasted on through. And then, <clears throat> I suppose maybe looking back, um, I did the Leaving Cert when I was 16, um, so it's, it's quite young, isn't it, when you think about Leaving Cert, what's kind of, you know, where direction and everything else. But I, as I said, I had no interest in that because I just wanted to go into business. Um, so what my plan was I'd start in a company and I would work on the shop floor and I'd just, you know, go around and I'd work my way up in through the, through the different uh, departments. That's exactly what I did. Uh, so I worked for... Um, well, actually, first of all, I worked with a retail, I won't mention any names tonight, <laughs> I worked at a retail outlet for about two weeks, um, and uh, <laughs> nothing happened, <laughs> very presumptuous, uh, but nothing, ha nothing happened, but what did happen was a, a scout leader friend of mine said that the brother had, just had a company, it was December, they were very busy, and, and would have yet to give a, a handout uh, for about a month, um, the month of, last two weeks in December, first two weeks in January, it was like uh, electronics, um, a Japanese electronics company. So uh, I was like, Grant, yeah, sure, when you start this job, I, I, I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll work for you. Um, so uh, went down there, started the job uh, with the revisal that will be for a month. Uh, and then into January, then I guess at the end of the day, when I finish up, I say, will I come in tomorrow or is that it? And I'm so, I'll come in tomorrow. Yeah, I'll come in tomorrow. So um, anyway, seven years later, uh, <laughs> I finished up with that company and uh, I had kind of progressed up through different departments in it and I got into sales. Uh, loved sales, dad was a salesman, so um not the same name, dad was called Seamus, so I'm called Seamus. And uh, so that was that was fine and then the company I worked with was huge internationally but didn't have a kind of a, a huge uh, Irish presence. Um I wanted to work for the number one company at the time. Uh, this is about twenty years ago by the way. Uh, so uh, I did that and then I worked thinking it would change my life and that I would find whatever I was looking for because all the time I was in these jobs, very easy company cars, uh, expense accounts, all that kind of stuff. Um, so you, you wanted for nothing. Um, so it was very easy work and uh, I wasn't um, pushed or challenged in any way. So thinking then if I change company, I'll work for the number one brand, I'll be really kind of, you know, that'll challenge me. And the same thing happened. I got there and I worked for about three years and I just thought, no, this is, I, I really I'm searching for something to find meaning, I suppose, about meaning of my life. Somebody close then uh, to me died suddenly and it really, I suppose, that's when an event like that, a life event such as that takes place, you really take stock, I suppose. And that's what I did. So I, I kind of examined what did I want to be. So everybody I knew at the time was in Australia. Um, 
So this is uh, just for the millennium, I think it was, around 1999. So <clears throat> I said what I would do is I'd take a month off work, I'd head down to Australia, and I'd have a kind of think about what I wanted to do. So on the plane, luckily I read M. Scott Peck, The Road Less Travelled. So um, that book, and I know he's an American psychologist, passed away a few years ago. That book starts off with a fantastic opening, which is, life is difficult. So I thought this is great. So uh, I started to read that book anyway, and then was, he gives, it's a, it's a, I recommend it to anybody. Um, he also has two books on fiction. I remember one is uh, In Heaven as on Earth that really kind of impacted on me as well. But really on that plane journey uh, down to Australia, I just thought this was great. Because the way the book is laid out gives a little bit of theory in the first half and then the second half then some case histories uh, to kind of match up the, the theories. And I thought, maybe I'll become a counsellor, psychotherapist, that kind of sounds interesting work. But I didn't want to leave that comfortable life that I had. Um, so what I decided to do was go to a night school um, and that was a kind of a way of putting the toe in the water and see if I liked that area of work and then see kind of, you know, I, I hadn't gone to college so I didn't know if I'd be able for it. Um, and so that's what I did, went to night school. It went brilliantly, I absolutely loved it. Fell in love with Freud and all of his friends and uh, decided this is for me, went into the job handed back the keys of the car and I drove out into the sunset on my uh, Suzuki Marauder 250cc uh, and I began my, uh, my college days uh, and I haven't looked back since. Um, so it's been a really interesting. I've been very lucky in the sense that the way I've kind of studied and the way that I suppose the, the, the subjects that I have studied and that I initially would have been kind of general arts, which was philosophy, anthropology, psychoanalysis, um, politics. Uh, very broad kind of range and then moved into kind of specialised then kind of psychotherapy and that kind of area um, and then while in Vincent's on the on the course we had a every Wednesday was amalgamation of um, uh, psychiatry, psychotherapy and then the uh, the, the clerics the kind of in-house uh, spiritual guides and um, so it was a nice discussion like this we discussed cases and things like that and I thought this psychiatry what's that about and I thought it'd be interesting that and so that's why I set off then to, to um, to go to medical school and for that reason really become a psychiatrist um, and so that's why uh, that, and that's what I kind of do at the present time um, <clears throat> and I suppose it's really sorry I'm just take some more speaking about Matt's up with anxiety <laughs> anxiety can be good at times by the way now, anxiety isn't always a bad thing and so you're still alive anyways that's it we'll talk about it so, um, yeah, so it, basically it, it was, what I liked really as well in, in those case conferences we discussed was this, what's called a bio-psycho-social um, uh, approach, biological, psychological and social, the kind of the three domains that you would look at when someone comes to see it. So quite holistic, quite a nice way of working. Um, and that's why I set about um, to do what I do. Um, and uh, currently working in, in a CAMS unit, uh, that's Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services in, in, in South County Dublin. Um, and really it's bringing that approach of all the things that I've learned into the arena and working with people um, and it's an absolute privilege to, to, to be with people and um, to be with somebody when they're probably at one of the worst times of their life um, and being able to assist them or perhaps guide them if they can in some way uh, is, is, gives you one of you know phenomenal sense of helping um, and uh, and also to give uh, back, I suppose, in a sense, what 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 I had learned of what was given to me, and then to pass that knowledge on. Um, but I think a very important part is that we're all human, and everybody has these feelings. As Matt was saying, going to um, you know a, a conference where it's of leadership, and you because everybody thinks you know these people are different than us in some way. We're human, and I guarantee you that any thought you've had, any feeling you've had, any kind of crazy thought that's gone through your head, we've all had those thoughts, um, and that's. 
I suppose, apart from sharing and, the, and discussion. And then when you, and this is how group therapy works, by the way, because when you get into a group and you start talking about this stuff, and you go, oh, right, so it's not just me. And I normalise it, and then people get to realise, well, actually, yeah, that's okay. That's okay to be like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's really kind of my, my, my lot. That's where I am at the present time. Um, I'm still muddling on. I'm still slow. Uh, I'm still learning, uh, but I love every day, and I probably learn the most from the people who come to see me. Um, and uh, it's it, as I say, it really is. A, it's it's a nice job to have uh, because of that impact that you can have, but also the impact that people have on 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 me. And and, uh, and then I suppose in the sense of bringing uh, a sense of how you put it, um, meaning, you know, meaning to what I thought. You know, you, you can look at the negatives perhaps too much, and he does a lot of bad things going on, but then. I recently, in December, I was knocked out for almost a month because I got this chest infection that's going around at the moment, um, and it really put me behind my work. I was in work today, I was in work yesterday, just catching up on the, because I'm so behind. Um, but really, your health is your wealth, uh, and, 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 and you know to, to take stock of, of the good things that you have as well. Um, yeah, so that's really, I, I kind of might just finish up on that. I think that's just, yeah. just You mentioned the biopsychosocial approach. Can you just explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. I was um I, I finished up in in uh, a psychotherapy um, training course in two thousand six and, and at that time there was a, a publication <coughs> called Vision for Change came out um so really I know some people are out there at the moment uh, not here but out there I'm probably out there but uh, are kind of dissing it at the moment saying it's behind it's you know it's outdated and things like that but it was a great thing and that really was it was comp- what the government said was could people get together and come up with what they perceive or what think is the best psychiatric service to have. So in other words, how could we improve the service? And that, that's what came up with was by it was so it was a mixture of professionals, lay people, service users, and um, what came out of that was what's called the bios. Well, it wasn't just from that, but they focused in on the bios, biopsychosocial model. So really what you're doing is you're looking at three domains uh, to, to, to someone's life, really, which is the biological part of their life, so how is that impacting on the body? So for example, if somebody was having persistent low mood, they might have poor sleep, um, you know, poor appetite, those kind of things, weight loss, and how you can correct those kind of things. Also the impact of, uh, on the body. Um, and then there's the psychological. So psychological you know, t- um, therapies that we could then use in the sense of maybe cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy, the different uh, talk therapies as they're called. Uh, and then the social then aspects. And I suppose looking at somebody's social life, and by your social life, not talking about your social life in the sense of I go out on a Saturday night. Uh, your social life really is, and it's not, is your home life and your work life. And, and looking at that and seeing is there anything there that could be adjusted or could be improved on or something that's affecting you in a bad way. Um, I know some people, uh, I'm, I, I joined a group over in the UK which is um, looking at the spiritual um, aspect of the human. And uh, so some people would say biological, psychological, social, and spiritual. Um, and that's kind of uh, something that's uh, because I think that's you know important to us too in the sense of nourishing that in whatever way that may be a connection to nature, the cosmos, um, you know, or you know, organized religions, whatever somebody finds themselves. But that really is the kind of approach that I use, and so that's what yeah, that's where where, where it stems from really kind of thing. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. You know, so now just lengthening your exhale is a way that you can reduce your cortisol levels and, and bring your bring yourself down out of a, a you know fight or flight state and ultimately state is what controls our nervous state is what controls our, our state of mind you know so um, it goes a long way if you can just control your breath and bring yourself out of that and movement is another one 
Um, and, and even better, movement coupled with breath uh, is such a powerful tool because the movement helps you to burn off some of that nervous energy and um, allows you to maybe get to a space where you can actually <laughs> sit. Um, and I know how this, this is how it was for me. I was at a point where I couldn't even sit still and do some breath work, you know? So moving first enabled me to get to a place where I could burn off some energy and actually sit down and meditate. Um, but for a long time, uh, movement was the only way I could, I could do that. Um, another thing in, in specifically with, with men, because that's something that I've, I've done with men circles and, and working with men is that like, just stepping into that space and, and opening your mind up to, to, uh, to stepping into that space of vulnerability. So when we do men's circles, um, it's often very hard to get to get guys to talk and to get guys to open up. But then we find once once they start talking, you can't shut them up. You know, once you, once you open the gate, it's like you can't stop it. You know, so um, it takes just that little bit of of uh, surrounding and, and the ability to just have the courage to step into it and be uncomfortable and be vulnerable and, and create a container for that. So I suppose like find somewhere that you can. You can step in for that, and uh, and that's a powerful tool as well. Yeah. Any thoughts for other speakers? Maybe Shay. Yeah. I just done a. I went. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with uh, holotropic breathwork. Just as you said there, it's a it's a whole process. A boy, a boy called uh, I don't know if he's Czech or one of these uh, states uh, in Middle East or in, the, in Europe. He's he's a psychiatrist or psychotherapist and he came up with this he used to treat people with LSD and then it became illegal and he came up with this whole process called holotropic breathwork what he does the same same kind of thing as LSD he, he changes the, your state of consciousness through breathwork it's it's a it's a whole process and he uses therapeutic music a certain tempo and blah blah so we've done a whole video on my experience of it and I put it on YouTube if anyone wants to go and look at it uh, it, it was it's like similar to the ayahuasca you know we've done a lot of therapy over the years and i've done a lot of uh going deep but well, i thought i did at an intellectual level i did but this brings you to another altered state of consciousness through like the ayahuasca's and that you know uh, it's it, it it was powerful it was moving it was you know I've, I've done lots of different things across the board when it comes to therapies you know but i, I don't believe this is the the best thing you can ever do like anything is not the best thing you do but it's it's another area to explore you know there's so many ducks that you need to have in a row and uh, when you're when you're going on the road of doing your work or doing the journey around your mental health you know people kind of latch on to maybe the breath work ayahuasca yoga meditation blah blah there's lots of things to be doing but it's nice to hear these kind of things that are options you know and uh, like the as shay said the the biopsychosocial, there's so many different things out there and options, you know, and that was the thing growing up for me. I didn't know that these were options. I didn't know that this was available for me. So yeah, ayahuasca, holotropic breathwork, there's lots of different things, you know, you'll find what you look for. So that's my kind of slide on it. Any thoughts to add, Dr. Yeah, I suppose breathing, and thanks for the meditation, because uh, that's something that I would partake in myself. Um, and, the, and the breathing techniques, for example, you know, and, and that, you know, something we would use uh, when seeing people I was actually what, I, what came into my mind was um, the first day I started in one of the in our, uh, hospital on our side um, I literally had just walked in the door and I just picked up my pager and there was an induction or something going on 
and I ran up to the lecture hall to get the induction, you know, you're told where your listen that is and you're right, your passwords, etc. And the team went off and I said, God no, I'm on in the door and I'm an induction today, it can't be for me. I went down, it was actually they, they were asked me to come down to, to see somebody who was presented in a high state of anxiety. Um, so uh, I was in a high state of anxiety as well. It <laughs> been the first day and I, you know it's not, it was, I was nervous. Um, so uh, I said, fine, Grant. So I went down and a uh, lovely lady and I, I got speaking with her. Um, and that's what came into my mind actually was the breathing techniques and not just along for hope but for me um, to calm me down. And um, and I did, and actually I remember when I, because I, I asked her, invited her, did she want to, to do it? Um, and she said yes, we did it just to, just to, uh, just to, to calm her initially, and we did it together. Um, but I remember then I was just kind of trying to open my eyes and, oh yeah, I'm, I'm working. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, but uh, you know, and there's a lot to it, and, and movement as well, because this is what happens when, when you know, if you have a, a bout of anxiety, um, you know, it's hard for kind of, the fight and flight as they refer to the system, but you're, uh, uh, I suppose it's the adrenaline really, that rush of adrenaline that it can be terribly uncomfortable. Um, and that's what we usually do is we burn it off, you know, by movement um, or or, um, or breathing as well. But um, so there, there is, and also you, you oxygenate in the blood as well, you know, you're blowing off the carbon dioxide. So <coughs> it's, it's very, very, very useful techniques as well, yeah. So, um, so our second question, Discussing the role of technology in mental health, uh, so maybe Max, some of the pros or your experience of technology in mental health, is it all doom and gloom? Look, it's as uh, I was listening to Jack Hornfield uh, to the day, and he was talking about his walk through the forest with his, with his guru, and the guru says to him, what's that over there? And he says, a boulder, and he says, do you think it's heavy? And he says, yeah, it's really heavy, and the guru says, not if you don't pick it up. You know, <laughs> so deep, like you know, you, growing up for me, there wasn't technology. I you know, had uh, drugs and drink and, and, and Tipex dinners, so so I didn't have internet and and all that kind of thing to fall into. But I would have if I did, you know. But now that I'm a, I'm a lot older and I've done the work, you know, technology to me is something that I can use to my benefit, like I do with the podcast, that kind of stuff, you know, just. There's apps that you can use for meditation. There's, you know, whatever you're looking for, you will find it. You know, as the Buddha says, anything I look at, I see Buddha. Anything in a pig, sees a pig. Whatever's in your internal environment, you'll see in your external, and you'll find what you're looking for, whether that be negativity or positivity or love and kindness. The people I follow on the internet, the people that I look up and read on, is about the things that I'm passionate about. But I do appreciate the fact that technology can be dangerous, and we have to be very mindful. As, as my girl said last night, it's like a city. There's loads of lovely places to go. There's, there's loads of dodgy places to go, uh, and you can get the choice and you get to choose. That's the thing about technology, you know. Uh, but I really believe, and I don't mean to be flippant, this people have to do their work. And if you've done the work, then yeah, it can be okay for you. But then not everyone has done the work. And you have to be very mindful of them, and you have to mind them whether they're vulnerable adults or they're vulnerable kids. And so it's okay for me to say, oh yeah, the internet's grand and it's great for me. I wouldn't flippantly say that. I wouldn't openly go around singing from the roof of that's wonderful though. I'm very mindful of other people that haven't done the work or kids that haven't done the work. So you just have to tread carefully. And I know, Shay, you have got a, a, a lot to say on it as well. Yeah, I suppose, it's just a, I suppose part of it is the, I mean, this is a, a big debate at the moment in, in the sense of telemedicine. Um, and you know, seeing a doctor online and, and, and um, prescriptions as well, that kind of stuff. 
Um, I, there are pros and cons to it. The, the, um, I, I, I suppose one thing for me is the kind of, um, I think what Jody opened up on, a, a very important word, connectedness. Um, and I think what a lot of um, research, I can't actually, one come to my mind, and I can't think of it all, but um, would say that it, it really, the type of therapy that somebody engages with, uh, that's not the main factor. The main factor is that connection uh, with the with the therapist and that relationship that you have, and this this place of this safe space and this place of trust that you feel that you can then speak and you can open up, and then yeah, the floodgates and that's it. There's no stopping people when they have that safe environment. So just how one regulates that or how you kind of engage with that. Uh, in the sense of on a screen compared to going into someone's rooms is kind of like, like that would be a kind of query I'd have. I don't know, but that's what I would kind of be. I'd rather go and see someone, you know, face to face and talk to them and kind of meet them. And, uh, I, I think there are certain nuances. Not everything we, not all human, but this is my opinion, not all communication is through language. So um, I, I think there's a certain nuances that we give off or we kind of, uh, whatever that may be, that we communicate with each other people and perhaps that might be lost in a kind of a, I know we all have broadband, but not 56k anymore, so the pictures tend to be better, and not just a, a series of still images. Um, but there might be something in that that's kind of um, that's lost or something. I think in the in the kind of in the uh, in internet. But I think what's really important though is the sense of yeah, the, the likes of uh, what Matt does and um, the podcasts and making stuff accessible to people, um, because that's really because then that is the connectedness and awareness and engaging with people and telling people about different things. Um, and people giving their experiences, and I think that's invaluable. That's um, so our next question is going to be around medication and its role in mental health services. So hot topic, maybe uh, Shay, do you want to jump in with this one first? Um, <laughs> let's take a glass of water. I suppose um, the way that caught my, the way of practicing, the way of working that caught my attention was the talk therapy and the combination at times of a medication. And um, as I say, that, that publication, the, the Vision for Change, came out in 2006. So obviously, it was, you know, at the time I was studying as well. Um, and I really think that the, the, the the biological, psychological, social, that, that three domain approach is so important because um, I think there are times when a medication uh, could help um, one in my role tries to, uh, you want people to make the best decision, you want, you want people to, 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 to get the best help, that's why they've come to you and they're seeking that um, and I think to, to really lay out your stall um, and to uh, give them the options that they have, and then they choose the option. I think that's the best that, that one can hope for. And um, I, I mean, I just just thinking of you know people when they usually will present that you know with anxiety and stuff like that, um, or if someone has a persistent low mood. Um, I rem I remember, and I, I I'm not going to go into cases tonight. Obviously, uh, confidentiality and stuff like that. I never would. Um, but it just the kind of how they can help i suppose because really what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to get someone into the room to work with me um, and if you if you somebody that can't leave their house they can't leave their bedroom because of this of the anxiety or the low mood that they have so they, and some people can't even leave their bed they're paralyzed either by fear or by low mood 
Um, and that's not going to work. I can't, how can I intervene there? But to get them then to meet me and then and then you start that work, I think that's really the, the, the approach that I would I take. Um, and so looking at that, I probably think that, and I know psychiatry in particular, you know, psychiatry meds and stuff like that is always, um, I suppose it tends to be given a bad press uh, because of the history. Um, but I think that um, really engaging with someone and, and, and again, that three-pronged approach that I talk about, because I think the mistake, perhaps that people who come to see it or that other people think about is that they think the medication is it. They think that the medic, this is the answer and it's not the answer. It's a part of it. Like Matt was saying, there's many different uh, components and it, it, human, all I've learned actually, by the way, in what am I, 20 years or something, I think it is, 20 years, all I've been able to say is that people are complex and contradictory. That's all, that's all I can say. Um, and, and so really working with that and how you work with that. Um, but uh, I have seen them, I have seen medications, I've tried medications, uh, and, and I've seen the benefit of that. Um, but then I suppose the question, and this is why you have reviews, this is why you see people every three months or every six months, wherever it is uh, on the schedule. And I think the question you should have there then is that, how are things going, how are you? What the medication do you want to do? You want to look at that today, and you know, do you think you still need it? Um, will we try reducing it down? Um, you know, or do you need to increase it? Um, what, which way, what, which way do you want to go? You know, kind of way that dialogue. Um, and there's no point in kind of you know not having that relationship and, and, and you know, um, someone coming in and saying, Yeah, the medication's fine, and, that, and actually they're not collecting the prescriptions or they're not taking it. Um, there's, no, there's no point in that. So, I think that, again, that's where the relationship is important. To build up that uh, that that relationship and that trust, um, and um, yeah, I suppose really kind of that's yeah that's probably what I'd say. And I think yeah. that's, they have a role. I think at times, but yeah. So they have a They're, role. Yeah, especially but, in severe cases. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the other thing about yeah about diagnostic criteria and stuff like that. Um, in the sense of that, you know, people can have a low mood, and then that can be classified into mild, moderate, or severe. So if it's if it's at a mild level, you're having a low mood. Um, or uh, an anxious periods of anxiety, then kind of practical steps, you know, changing something in your social uh, aspects of your, the home life, the work life I talked about earlier, perhaps that's, that may address that, uh, and to the moderate as well, but to the severe, I, I think that's a different area. Any thoughts, Matt or Joe, do you want to try in? Yeah, look, I, I have been on medication, I was on Lexipro, 5, 10, 15, 20, and I've come off, I'm not in now, uh, I'm not pro, I'm not uh, for, against, whatever medication. But when I was taking them, as I said earlier, I hadn't got all my ducks in a row. I drank, uh, I, my diet was shy, I didn't train properly, my mindset was rubbish, my, my internal environment was toxic. You know, I had terrible thoughts around myself, I didn't value myself. You know, so I was given medication, but that was just one duck to get in a row. There's many, many things, you know. So. I decided that for me when I was on it, I'm still experiencing the same thing. I'm still going through anxiety. I'm still now sitting here, no medication, and I get anxious. I was like, what are the benefits for me? Now, I would never tell anyone to, to take them or don't take them. But I said, maybe I need to try other stuff. You know, I journal, I, I have a structure to my life. I practice love and kindness. I ask myself, what's my intentions every day? When I'm going to send a text to someone, I say, what are my intentions? Am I being an asshole or am I practicing love and kindness? You know, you can't sell that in a bottle. I practice meditation, I go training, I get up early. I, 
I connect with my family, like you said there. These are huge things that you can't sell in a bottle, you know. But again, they're not going to save you, and they're not the, the great way of hope, but they're just part of a process. The same with the medication. So, you know, I'm not saying tomorrow it could be on medication or not. We're just saying try all those other things, try all the, the options available, read, learn, connect, choose love, change what you're going to think about. You know, you do have the power to choose. Uh, what you're gonna, what you're gonna decide to feed? What, what we, what we feed our mind on, it gorges on. You know, one used to be very negative and uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, everything will go wrong, and everything did go wrong. All sorts of shit happened in my life, you know. But now all I see through my eyes is is love and kindness, and that's the avenue event. I'm not like sitting here like a care bear telling that it's all wonderful. <laughs> I try my best to practice that when I'm not here I'm probably, my family probably tell you I'm an asshole sometimes. <laughs> but my spiritual intention is to try to do the right thing, uh, is what I'm saying. So that's my experience on, on Mexico. But you do have negative effects as in my health markers changed as well. So you have to look at all these things but they do have a place, you know, uh, all these things have a place but where are you going? You do have options as to as to as to like to leave on leaving. I'm sure you'll be a care bear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Johnny, anything to add? Um, I would say like like a lot of Western medicine, like this stuff is probably just a case of what we see in a lot of things now is treating the symptoms um, and not treating the root cause. You know, me and Shay were talking the other night about um, low hanging fruit, like what are the what are the things that are like easily changed without causing too much disruption to your life, rather than being like straight put onto a, a, an antidepressant or something like that? Like, is there is there small things that you can pluck away at without like having to overhaul your whole life? And before you do that, it's not that that's not an option or that's like a negative thing to do. It's just that maybe there's other things that can be explored first before. Um, before you go that direction, you know. And there probably is a ton of things that people can change um, that won't affect their life too badly or won't be too much of an effort for them before going that route, you know. I always come back in with, can I come back in a little bit? Just on that as well, too. you know, there are times of anxiety and, there, and, that, and that are normal, you know. There, there's, there, coming up here to I'm nervous, you know, so coming up in an in in arena like this, that's it's natural uh, to be to be nervous and it's nat natural to have anxiety about that my hands are you know sweating of all the, the physical symptoms uh, my heart is pounding so of all these physical symptoms of anxiety that and, and that's okay before an exam before the results for the exams uh, 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 etc but I, I i suppose really the difficulty can be for the, when i step off the stage here now we're finished tonight that will go for me for somebody else, it might not, and they might be continuously and constantly um, in this state that I am now, and that's the difficulty. And I, I, I think, in, in the sense of I, I think a little bit of medication and uh, a therapy is very successful in that arena, um, because it, it, it can help to, to, for someone to, to engage. Um, so just so you know, because there are natural body symptoms that we are, sorry, uh, states, rather, I should say, states that we go through, you know, but it's the duration, and, and or if it's pervasive, if it's in every arena of your life. So not just when you you're going to meet the boss for your review, it's it's in every arena of your life, you know. Kind of way. So just yeah, maybe just something I just talk into my head. Um. So if anybody's turned our telly in the last twenty years, uh, our the story has been that our mental health services are in crisis. 
Um, so is the statement true as it relates to mental health? So is our mental health services in crisis in Ireland? So I don't want to take that home. Yes. I might, uh, sir. It'll take a second. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> I suppose, uh, is it in crisis? I think I'd probably start by maybe. Everything's getting better. <laughs> some some are. Some things are getting better. And um, but I, I, I suppose it really depends on the availability of services. So and, and the demand that's placed on those services. Um, it probably might be nice to set it up this way. I see two differences between mental health and mental illness. Um, we may, probably might talk about that later on in the sense that I, I think there's a lot of uh, people that are uncomfortable talking about mental illness. So everybody's very happy to talk about mental health. We'll put on the green badge, we'll go on TV and radio and talk about it quite publicly. But if I ask you to talk about mental illness, that's a different reaction, all right? said here's a gentleman or a lady they have mental illness how would you feel about that the reaction to, to, to people like that so i think we have progressed a bit but i think we're still kind of hiding a little bit behind language and the naming uh, of it and um, so why i say it that way or why i'm setting up setting it up that way is because um you've got mental health so people who are doing fine doing well coping working uh, freud said the meaning of life was to love and to work so they're doing that and then you have people with mental illness um, and they, they are, they're not coping um, or they need treatment to help them cope and they're uh, here and then in the middle of that you have the majority of people that present to a hospital service that's been my experience my own experience on that and that is people who don't have mental illness but everything's not okay so they're struggling um, and they've come to you looking for help uh, and for us, people in my job, the difficulty we have is trying to communicate that because what will happen is you'll come in to see me in uh, an emergency situation uh, and I'll do my assessment. And what I'm looking for is do you have a mental illness? That's so I've got diagnostic criteria that I use, ICD 10 for Europe and DSM 5 for the States. And I'm looking to see do you, do you meet this criteria? And if you do, then I'm either going to admit you. Or I'm going to follow you up in the community and that kind of way. So that's that's really that really. But if you don't meet that criteria, then I probably will be referring you to a community service. Um, and there are excellent community services out there. I'm, I'm, I work with young people, and um, so I'm very familiar with those kind of services that we use. Springboard, um, and there's one other one that just for because I'm here, I'm on the spot. It won't come to my mind. Uh, Jigsaw. Thank you very much. That's what it is. Yeah. So excellent services. Really brilliant people working in the community. The difficulty I have is that when somebody comes to see me and I'm sending them down out of the hospital again, they feel, and I, they feel I've let them down. I'm feeling bad because they've come here and they, the usual thing I'm, I will hear is that I've come to you looking for help and you're not helping me. But actually what I am doing is telling them the best place for you to go is, is here. Um, and uh, and um, so I, I, I think really resources around that middle part, that, that the, the majority of presentations um, and be that through the supporting the community services uh, and, the, and the voluntary services and really funding them would make a huge difference, I think, that would, because they are tremendous. And you only find out when you move into an area and the people who are working there for 20 years start telling you about different things. Phenomenal people out there, tremendous people who, in voluntary capacities, they want to help and they are helping. 
um, and, 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 and that's really where I think we need to support that because I think there's the, the pressure that has come on to the, the, the health service um, are, are, are really people that, that, that could be of benefit, you know, would get a benefit from, from the, the, the things that I mentioned. I think that's probably a, a, a part of what happened. Yeah, Mark, Joni, any thoughts to add? Are people falling through the cracks with regard to mental health services in Ireland? I don't know about that, but the people that I've spoke to on the podcast, you know, survivors of suicide, uh, you know, services are saturated, you know, and uh, they're, they're underfunded, you know, disability doesn't get a look in sometimes. You know, I'm not in mental health per se, but I hear, you know, people with brain injury, the other people I work with, my client group, as in the guys as well for the podcast, you know, there's not a lot of options out there sometimes, especially when you're struggling, you know, and then sometimes, as you know, when you are struggling, your line of vision gets gets more narrow and narrow and narrow and it's hard to see the wood in the trees so yeah but we do agree with what Shay is saying there is some great people in the trenches there's some fantastic people in the community like volunteers and uh, the services in your local community we have Shannon's Hope Line uh, in our community uh, two girls friends of mine they run a charity called Shannon's Hope Line uh, one of the girls a daughter died by suicide but they're doing tremendous work in the community Free ninety nine. They're educating kids, grassroots education uh, from an early age, and I think that's where we're going to get the, the best bang for book. Is but yeah, I really like to echo that there is great people in the in the community doing great work for free. Yeah. Uh, Joey, anything to add? Not not particularly now. <laughs> to be honest with you, we go we go a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, fifth question: stigma. Stigma around, around mental health. There's lots of organisations such as Force Fortnite doing great work to reduce stigma. Does it still persist in our society? Yeah, well, uh, again, I, I do believe, yeah, there is there's a stigma and there's, there's, there's a culture, but I also think it's back to, to the person as well. You know, there's a fear. You know, uh, I've had mental health difficulties all my life, but I didn't want to talk about it, I didn't want people to judge me. So even without going into stigma, I wasn't letting it come out anyway because I was scared because they think I'm weak, I'm, I'm a lesser man, I'm a lesser professional, blah, blah, blah. But I think there is huge stigma out there, but not just isolated to mental health. I think sexuality, uh, the travel community, you know, IVF. I, I wanted to interview a couple that have went through IVF because it was really interesting to hear their story. I said, no, I don't want to talk about it. You know, we've been judged by our family, we've been laughed about in the community. This is only a couple of years ago. I've interviewed people for transgender, uh, sexuality, lots of different cohorts of people, and it's the stigma, you know. But it's back to the fear as well. They don't want to come because they don't want to be judged. They don't want to feel lesser than, you know. So there is out there, to, again, we have great faith in the kids coming, coming along because we are talking about, at an intellectual level, we are talking and we have the language, we have the policies and procedures in place and the jobs and you know dignity at work, diversity training and all these kind of things. But are we practicing them in my job? I do see people that are not adhering to it. But I think the kids coming along, I think they will. You know, my daughter, she is the kids in order uh, you know, or with disabilities and all these other kind the, the language is just normal to them. My daughter came out last year, breezed out, which is fantastic, you know, so I do have great hope, but I do think it comes back to you as a person as well as your fear, fear of coming out, fear of talking about your mental illness or mental health. 
and then there is that stigma out there. But I, I do believe that I'm changing, that's changing. What's your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I would think so too, actually. Just to go back maybe or reiterate what I was saying earlier, um, and, and about mental health versus mental illness. And I think there has been, you know, a really a tremendous uh, advance. Actually, just going to be looking at us the four lads up here. Uh, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> I was at a meditation thing recently, and uh, when it was, uh, it was really lovely afternoon. And when it was over, then we asked for a bit of feedback, and I spoke up um, uh, like that. I can't stop talking now. And uh, so I spoke up, and then one of the female participants said it was it was great to hear a male voice for a change. And um, so I think, yeah, I think we have. I think I think there's been tremendous uh, uh, progress and and steps forward. And um, I think the next thing really is to kind of look at now, you know, let's be, let's say, when you mean that somebody is mentally ill, say mentally ill, uh, it's mental illness. Um, I think using this word, these words uh, now, um, it kind of is, is probably the next step. And I suppose with, with um, stigma, stigma can be, is a little bit easier to change um, than what I'm gonna say next, but it's the stigma really, I suppose, like you're saying, uh, Matt, is really the, your own views um, and it always helps if you know someone or you've been through something yourself that makes it more uh, relatable to um, that, that, that you can identify with that. Um, so I think there's, there's stigma. I think the worst thing is discrimination. I, um, and I think that's really where, in the sense of people who perhaps have dealt with sexual identity and stuff like that, uh, uh, and other things going on that they feel they can't because they, I don't want to step out there because I don't want to be discriminated against. So um, I've been lucky in, in where I've worked in, in health service executives, etc., who are very protective of staff and, and have great policies uh, for staff, and there are procedures there to follow. Um, and, and I come from the private sector, um, and that was one thing that struck me actually when I came to the public sector in HSC was really the difference of how protected uh, one is in the sense of that they were, it was really, you know, no discrimination on your. Um, on your sexuality or your religion, religious beliefs and stuff like that. And they're very strong on that. Um, so I, I, I thought that's one of, that was really one of the great things. But yeah, I think looking at um, maybe the area of discrimination will be kind of a, a, a really just, that's harder to change um, and usually takes kind of the uh, legislative, um, the legal system kind of thing to, to roll in there and laws to be created uh, because the then people start to follow the law then. Uh, rather than kind of the, our own, you know, beliefs and attitudes and that kind of thing, yeah, so. All right, final question before we throw it out to the crowd. Uh, we discussed low-hanging fruit, something maybe that people can take home with them, maybe like a minimum effective dose or something they can do, I don't know, eat more blueberries or something, that will improve their biopsychosocial health. Uh, maybe, Joe, did you want to kick that off? No pressure to call it. Because I was going under everybody's chair. <laughs> Um, so probably the simplest thing you can do to change your state is uh, shut your mouth and breathe through your nose. Yeah, so <laughs> of course have to shut your mouth. <laughs> we might find out. So yeah, when you when everybody, well, the majority of people now are hyperventilators, so so we tend to blow off a little bit too much carbon dioxide, and carbon dioxide is very important for our body to release oxygen actually into our tissues. So if we can't tolerate carbon dioxide because we're blowing it off all the time because we're milk breathing and that's where that term milk breather comes from and um, you can't get the oxygen into your tissues so you could have 100 percent oxygen saturation if you can't handle the co2 in your body if you're exhaling all the co2 you can't get that oxygen out to your tissues and you know oxygenizing your tissues helps them to recover better brings your, your nervous state down and um, 
yeah, so that's that's an easy hack that you can use to, to kind of bring bring yourself down out of um, the stress state and bring your tissues more importantly down out of the stress state. Because it's not just our minds that are stressed, our bodies are inflamed, uh, our tissues are inflamed. We're not recovering properly. We're, stress is literally like eating us up from the inside out. So imposing that bring to your nose, bring to your nose is something that you can use very effectively. Uh, Shay, yeah, um. Uh, Hugh uh, opened up tonight and was saying that uh, you know what I've expressed here tonight are our own opinions. Uh, so I'm here tonight as Shay Ward, um, and uh, I have six things to give you. <laughs> Don't know how popular I'll be though after I give you the six. <laughs> but this is my own opinion and my own view. Um, if you are suffering, uh, with mental health difficulties or in that arena, that area where you're, you're struggling to cope. First three things I'd recommend are, if you're drinking alcohol, stop drinking alcohol. Stop smoking cigarettes and stop smoking cannabis or taking any sort of illegal substances, drugs that you might be taking. The reason I say that is that I, I work in a few different jobs, but I work in the, in the south side, in a very affluent area, um, and I worked in the uh, Northside uh, Hospital in, in an associated private area. And just as a, a kind of, I suppose, an interest, I wanted to look back through the caseload of the present patients of the people who came or were referred to psychiatry. So in other words, this is top four things that are were referred to, to me at the time. Um, as It wasn't the research piece, it was more curiosity on my behalf. And what I found was interesting was that so you're basically looking at two completely different areas of the city, um, and so the, 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 the you know there's, there's contrast really in socio-economic, and um, so the the least thing that I was called to see. So as a psychiatry registrar, working in psychiatry, the least referral I had from the emergency department was to come and see somebody with a mental illness. So in other words, somebody with a diagnosis of schizophrenia, or bipolar, um, or uh, anxiety or depression. That's the least thing I saw. And um, the third thing I was asked to come and see, third case I would be um, asked to review, was somebody perhaps who was self-harming or had um, said uh, that they were going to kill themselves. And uh, this, these were people who were distressed. So in other words, they were extremely distressed. They were overwhelmed. They couldn't cope. Uh, psychologically, they had crashed and they had presented into us. Um, and, and, and they're the people then that I, that I would engage with. Second thing, um, I would be, uh, second, well, sorry, I don't mean to take any offence, I mean the case. Um, the second case of gas review is somebody who had attempted suicide, so in other words, either an overdose uh, or hanging. Um, so, uh, and the number one thing that I was asked to, the number one case, I do apologise for using that word thing, the number one case that I was asked to come and review uh, was alcohol, that somebody had, uh, they had got into difficulty with alcohol. And the reason is, I think, that they were in pain, they were suffering, they wanted to get away from that pain and suffering. And to do that, they were self-medicating or trying to anesthetize themselves in some way to get away from that pain. Um, and so that's, they, they were, and I just thought that was quite interesting that in both sides of the city, it was exactly the same. Um, and so that's why I would say, but it just, it just I'm not saying put it out forever, you know, uh, you can have a drink uh, and things can be great, 
and um, depending on where you are in your life and stuff like that it's not that but i just think if you are just in the sense of giving somebody some a, a tip i think that's it you, you need to because there's no point in meditating there's not there's, there's no point in sitting down and do your breathing technique um, and then going off into town drinking your head off it, it doesn't make sense uh, to do that so you need to take stock of where you are and where you're at um, and the, the the next tree then would be eat sleep exercise and um, so it's it's not kind of you know rocket science it's very common sense isn't it? i think it is anyway i don't know if i'll ask people how they feel but they would be my six things uh work anything to add <coughs> yeah uh, I, I, I would always start within the things that i do i love journaling you know i get my thoughts and put them on paper uh things just bounce around my mind i just find it easier to contextualize life I put it on a page and I can see, ah, ha, ha, look at that. Uh, I also journal, or I, I keep a gratuity journal, you know, things that I, I appreciate in my life, but things I genuinely appreciate. I don't go, ah, oh, well, the sky is blue and uh, I can breathe. I really think, you know, my kids, my mom, my dog, my mates, this opportunity, anything that I can tangibly feel in my stomach, geez, I'm really grateful for that. Uh, I learned to, to forgive yourself. Think of something that you've done and say, do you know what? As my angel would say, if I knew better, I'd have done better. You know, turn in, self-reflect, be honest with yourself, set intentions. What are my actions? Like, why am I doing this? Why did I do that? Call yourself out, be honest to yourself. And then you can start to see the world slightly different. I always found when I turned in on myself, I just seen the world differently, you know? When I forgive myself, when I touch, you know you're not the worst fucker in the world. We've just, as I used to think I wasn't, I probably still am, probably just delusional, I'm probably still on the drugs. But that is where the power comes from. It comes from within, turning up and turning in, in service of your community, in service of your family. You just become an easier, better person. You just see the world slightly different. You look at it through a different prism. So I just, where I would say. Can I just interject that? That's, I mean, that, that just tallies up the ties in nice what I was saying as well, because I don't think you can do that if you're in a haze. You can't build a bridge, or you can't build a strong house on a rickety bridge. You know, if you're, if you're participating in negative behaviour, whether it be drink, drugs, gambling, attachment, um, any of those kind of things, any kind of ways of being absent from the present moment, you can't you can't build a strong foundation. And I try to implement that in the hospital when we're dealing with brain injury rehabilitation. We cut out substance, we cut out all the other psychosocial stuff, and we try then build a strong foundation. And I think by self-reflecting and turning in. We get the best bang for book. I have something there. Just um, the way that question is asked is so like stereotypical of modern society. Like, all right, one thing that you can do now just to fix it all. I mind the rest of the show you talk about, but now like one last thing that just you can take home and do. And it's like it's the same in health, in fitness, in wellness. Everyone wants the one magic thing that's gonna do whatever for them. You know what I mean? But it's like death by a thousand cuts now. It's like, we're getting it from all angles. Like, you know, your diet, your, your nutrition, how you move, how you breathe, how you walk, how you live. Are you sitting on a chair, standing desk? And it's overwhelming for people. Like, I understand that. But this is where self-love comes into it. And you start to have to look at, like, how you're doing things. And, and are you doing the best things for yourself? Do you know what I mean? Because there's no one single thing that you can change. And it's going to change everything. It's small changes over time that that makes a difference.
Just add that as well too. Sorry, keep it kind of It's just it's really important that, that you have to do the work. If you want to improve or you want to change, you have to do it. Not the person you come to see. You have to do the work. Um, and I think that's a really important message that you know you, you could have the best like a psychiatrist, like a psychotherapist, or whoever what you know area arena they're in. If you're not prepared to make that change, you're not prepared to go through that, and it's painful. And sometimes that's why people ask us for medication is because they don't want to go there. I don't want that pain. Keep that away from me. So if you're in that arena, you can't engage with it. What the master saying? Yeah. Sorry. Okay, so, uh, great insights there. We just about have time for two very quick audience questions. So I don't know how long our mic lead is. So I'm sorry we got the, the mic there. What a very quick question, actually. You can chill. Yeah, we can hear you. Yes, go ahead. Goldie, actually, um, you mentioned men's therapy there earlier on. Yeah. I was quite interested in that. It kind of sounds a bit like group therapy for men. So the question is, yeah. shall we <laughs> so expand on uh, men's um, circles? I'm, I'm actually just asking, like, like, are these online? Where can people... Where can we find the, the men's circles? Um, they're, they're physical circles. Yeah, there's a couple going on. There's a couple other circles going on around Dublin. Um, mine are more sporadic. Uh, but I'm sure... How can we get links out? Can we get links out to people? Where's you? Yeah. Um, I'll be able to get to that in yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, essentially, it's, 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 not, it's not therapy. It's just holding space. You know? Will they find yeah. on your website, Jody um, Yeah, when they just... Yeah. There's, there's men's circles, we do, we do men's albums as well. Well, um, I think this, the, the idea is just that it creates a container where, where you're in a space with like-minded people where you feel that you can open up, you know, when you see other people that are similar to you, open up. And I think like for men, it's, it's maybe a little bit harder just to crack that um, seal and get the juices flowing, you know? So. Um, yeah, we'll get we'll get some links out. Yeah, uh, I, I can link image afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Hello, we don't.